God is doing amazing things. Jesus' community is all about relationships, and relationships have rhythms. We're going to find that out from 2 Corinthians chapter 7 today, looking at these rhythms. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there or find it on your phone. Also, at the end of this message, the elders are here to pray, to pray with anyone who wants to receive prayer today. And when you think about rhythms in our church, we have baptism, communion, and also the elders coming up front to pray with people. This is from James chapter 5. And if anyone here is sick or physically needs some prayer for recovery, come forward at the end of the message. Or maybe you want to turn from sin today, uh, come forward. Or if you want to put your trust in Jesus for the first time, I just prayed with someone after the last service who said, I want to follow Jesus. Made that decision and we prayed together. So God is moving in this place. God is doing great things. Uh, We're grateful for our elders and their leadership. And right from the Bible, they have oil and ready to pray with people at the end of the message. And we are starting Holy Week. That phrase, Holy Week, means that refers to today, Palm Sunday, Jesus going into Jerusalem. And with palm branches and praise, they shout, Hosanna. And then next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And I encourage you to savor and take in everything God has for you this week. Think about the faithfulness of Jesus during the entire week that he inspires us to be faithful. Think about the love of Jesus, how much you are loved, and receive that love. And then also think about the resurrection of Jesus and know that we're going to be raised up, followers of Jesus raised up to see him face to face and also his resurrection power is available to you right now. Don't just look back and think, oh, okay, I'm going to take a few historical notes of what happened during that week. Instead, walk with Jesus this week. There's no limits to what Jesus can do. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that we gather in your presence to worship you, to grow in our faith, to encourage one another. And Father, we pray that you would speak to us today about our relationships, our attitudes, and God, our willingness to trust you in difficult moments. And we praise you for what you're doing here. Give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Relationships have rhythms. The spiritual life has rhythms. Heaven has rhythms, and our role is to align with heaven, to be in step with the Holy Spirit. That's the key. The Holy Spirit who empowers us and leads us in these rhythms, to be realigned with the rhythms of heaven. At our church, we like to say daily grace, which emphasizes this relationship with Jesus that's 24-7 where we live, work, learn, or play. And a phrase that we hold on to is abide and respond. From John chapter 15, Jesus invites us over 10 times to abide, to remain with him. And when you do, you're going to bear much fruit. The abiding is the relationship in the receiving. And it leads to responses. We're going to look at three responses today that are specific in our relationships. And these are daily. I'd like to begin by pointing out the combination of called and led. Called is something that God does in our lives. It's overarching. You are called to love your neighbor. That's a general, it's a glorious calling. But then he also leads you to get to know Priscilla, to care for Javier, and he leads you in specific relationships and specific ways. Called and led. Paul is called but also led to Corinth, and that's the context, the relationship Paul has with Corinth and the Corinthians We're going to learn from that. We're going to grow in our faith together. Here's three specific responses for our relationships. And the first one is reaching. Reaching means to initiate and not give up. In chapter 7, starting in verse 1, 
Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. We were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside and fears within. There's a sequence that Paul unpacks. It begins with an internal reverence for God. When we lose a reverence for God, it goes downhill quickly in our lives. But starting with a reverence for God, that leads to a life of integrity. And out of that life of integrity, there's going to be influence and impact in relationships. And the ripples are both global and local. And again, God's going to work through respecting and honoring God, integrity, and then the influence that pours out of that. As we live that way, one of the most difficult things that God calls you to do is reach other people. Reaching other people is not one of those easy things that always just feels good. To bring the love of Jesus, it's going to be one of the most difficult things in your life. It's going to drive you to reliance on God. And when you think about the Corinthians and Paul reaching out to them, he brings candor here. He says, I was anxious, I was depressed, I was undermined, I was accused. There were false teachers in Corinth who said that Paul is a fraud, he is selfish, and he's a false teacher. Here's the irony. The very accusations they threw at him were all true of the ones who accused him. Sometimes in life, the people who hurl the darts at you, in fact, it's not true about you, but it's true about the one who's throwing the dart at you. And Paul is going to walk in truth, walk in love, still be secure. Does it hurt? Yes, it hurts deeply. When someone is mean and slanders and gossips, accuses you in false ways, it does hurt deeply, but he's going to walk in love and walk in truth, and he's continue to reach out. In fact, he's so committed to the relationships he has with the Corinthians, he says, we live or die with you. I think that's the original ride or die right there. In the Greek, that's ride or die. Like, we're going to be with you. If it means we're going to get killed, we're going to walk with you and love you and stay committed to you in this relationship. It's more than just good intentions. There's an intentionality that leads to an investment. It's not just a good thought about somebody. There's an investment in the relationship, and there's a commitment there. Now, are the Corinthians easy to love? I would say that they're more difficult to love than the Philippians, than the Ephesians. Some of the other letters that we read, Paul wrote, and he loves and cares for these people. The Corinthians are more difficult to love. Do you have anyone in your life who's difficult to love? Now, don't raise your hand, but sometimes your spouse might be difficult to love. Don't raise your hand. Don't throw an elbow. But it could be true in your home. Maybe your kids or your parents are difficult to love. A sibling's difficult to love. Or maybe there's someone who believes something so different than you. And they speak different, they believe different, they look different, and you're really struggling to love this person. Maybe it's someone who's mistreated you, and you're really struggling to love this person with the love of Jesus. 
In the relationship Paul has with the Corinthians, he writes four letters. The first letter is lost. The second letter is 1 Corinthians. The third letter is lost. The fourth letter is 2 Corinthians. Have you ever tried to communicate to someone that's just not going smoothly? You think you said it, but they didn't even receive it. They didn't even get it. And then you dropped this clever clue, but that didn't work. And then you talk to them, but then it didn't get the response you wanted. And now you're just getting more frustrated, and another letter's needed, and more communications lead, and you're not sure if you should write a letter. Paul goes and visits them, and then he's disappointed. Have you ever spent time with someone and walked away disappointed? I thought we were going to talk about this clear and humbly. I thought we were going to reconcile, but what's happened? We get together, and now it's even worse. Paul says it's a painful visit, and he delays his next visit because spending time with you wasn't as good as I thought, and if I come, I'm not sure it's going to turn out well, so now I'm not sure if I should write or visit. I'm not sure if I need space or I really want to get close with you again. And these are people that are tough to love. In Corinth, they're going to be confused. You ever told someone so clearly? Like you just thought it was A, B, C. And they repeat back to you and they're like, L, Q, V? (laughs) You're like, A, B, C. Jesus and the disciples, he thought he laid it out so clear. And then they're just confused all the time. And then they compromise in their faith and then they return to sin. Have you ever looked someone in the eyes and lovingly said, that sin is destroying your life? And they go, you're right, it is. Do you want to break free? Yes, I do. And then that next weekend, they try to numb the pain, and now they're in the emergency room because they just keep running back to the same sin. The Corinthians, they just keep returning to the same sin. Initially, they're like, yes, this God stuff sounds good. Jesus, it sounds wonderful. But then what happens? They stumble. They fall. They go backwards. Paul's going to be on this roller coaster ride with them. Sometimes relationships can feel like a roller coaster ride. He's going to involve other people because, in his own strength and his own abilities, he's like, I know I can't do this alone. We all need God's help and we need more people there. And they're tough to love. God is going to bring in people into your life, outreach, and loving people that are tough to love. Sometimes it's going to be within your own house. And part of the reason is for your reliance on God, for your personal growth and humility. And so you can say, God did it. God turned it around. And he put his love in my heart when I didn't have it. And that's what Paul's doing in Corinth. And when I think about the different places I've served in America, I think of Dallas, Texas, where I started, and there's a mega church or two on every block. That's what it felt like. You just put up a sign, Bible study, and they're coming by the thousands, right? The parking lot's full. And I thought, wow, I've never lived in a place like this before. And then the next place was Iowa. And in Iowa, the heartland, there's a lot of people who grew up Catholic and Lutheran, but they don't yet follow Jesus. They're not born again. They haven't put their trust in him. They just have some religion in their mind. And when they hear about a relationship, they hear about the grace of God. And then it's not earned. It's not achieved. It's not performance. It's like the light bulb goes on. The grace goes from the head to the hearts, and they come to know Jesus. And it's amazing. And then serving in Southern California, there's so much creativity and innovation in the body of Christ, and they're reaching people in amazing ways. It's inspiring. And then as we approach leaving California and coming up to Seattle, I've never had a place where so many people said, are you sure you want to go there? (laughs) That doesn't really end up too well. A lot of people go up there. A lot of pastors go up there and they leave. It's just not an easy thing. It's not a fit. I believe God is doing great things in Seattle. And across the sound. And if God can do it in Corinth, he can do it here right now. Now, does that mean it's going to be easy? 
No, it's going to mean we're going to lay down our life. We're going to step out of what's cushy, in what's comfortable, in what's convenient, because that's what Jesus did. That's what Paul did. That's how Corinth was changed. Corinth was changed. Our communities and cities are changed in the same way. It's that kind of love. It's the love of Jesus. Jesus had that love when we think about Palm Sunday. And as he went into the town of Jerusalem, what did he hear? Hosanna in the highest. The praises rang through the town. And then what did he hear out of those same ears a couple days later? Crucify him. Crucify him. Don't give too much power to the crowds. Don't give too much attention to public opinion. It'll go up and it'll go down. Hosanna, crucify him. Don't be swayed. What Jesus did, and it says in Isaiah chapter 50, he said his face like flint. What's that? His face, like a hard rock, set like flint. He's going to go to Jerusalem knowing the cost that's coming, knowing he'll be crucified. He's going to set his face like flint, reaching out with love, won't be deterred. In Luke chapter 9, it says that he was resolute, determined to go to Jerusalem, to the cross, and the greatest display of love that we'll ever see. Sometimes with outreach, don't go by your feelings because you're going to feel anxious, depressed, worried. You're going to feel insufficient. You're going to feel all those things. It's not going to feel good initially, but you set your face like Flint with the love of Jesus in your heart. You move forward into that calling, into that leading, and trusting him. Is there a cost? There's a great cost. That's why the sound isn't reached yet, because the body of Christ isn't sure how much of a cost and inconvenience and feeling uncomfortable we really want to feel. And as long as we are committed to being comfortable and don't really want to endure the cost, the region won't be reached. But God is ready. More people are getting ready. God is moving. And I believe we're going to see something in this region we've never seen before. And we are inspired by Jesus and we're inspired by his inner conviction that's greater than the challenges and the cost. That people are precious to God. And with a sincere love and truth, we're going to reach out. We're going to reach out together. And what's interesting in these same verses, Paul says, my joy knows no bounds. What initially was scary and felt kind of intimidating, now my joy knows no bounds because there's nothing greater than seeing people's lives changed and marriages restored and to see people that wanted to end their life are now full of life and to see this transformation from addiction to freedom, to see this happen in a community, that's what we live for. That's how Jesus lived every day. And if we abide with Jesus, you know what we're going to do every day? We're going to be reaching out. Because Jesus lives that way every day, and that's how the Holy Spirit wants to work through us. If we're not reaching out daily, we're probably not abiding with Jesus daily. So we come back to Jesus, and we're inspired. We're empowered by God, and we know that reaching is a healthy rhythm in our walk with God. Here's the second one, and this one gets overlooked, and it's repenting. It's to move in a new direction. Repentance means a change of 180 degrees. It means to turn from sin to God, to walk with God, to live for God. And in Corinth, there's repenting. And repenting is amazing. Repenting is life-giving. Let's take a look at what happens, starting in verse 8. Paul says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. You know now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. 
See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us that you truly are. Paul, as he shows up in Corinth, he's going to see this great need for accountability, this great need for repentance, and he writes sharing because he's transparent and vulnerable. And let that be a model for us. He's transparent and vulnerable and says, I was so sad. He was sad because he saw the sin in the land and the destruction that it did and how it hurt relationships. He was sad because uh, he was grieving as he wrote this down because he was sad about their condition. He felt sad because it was going to make them sad to read the letter. He cares about them fully. And he writes the letter and they are sad when they read it because there's conviction. But then the sadness turns into joy. Why? Because as they read the letter and they see how far they've drifted from God, God moves in their heart. They want to return to God. They want to come home. Repentance is coming home. And whenever someone comes home, all of heaven rejoices. And Paul looks back and says, it was hard to confront. It's hard to bring accountability. It's hard to speak truth, even with the people you know and love the most. It's hard to be honest. And sometimes we grieve in that conversation. But I'll tell you what, there's fruit that comes from an honest, humble conversation. And the fruit that Paul saw in Corinth is amazing. He points out there's a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. I wrote down this chart here to clarify the difference. It's a huge difference. Godly sorrow means that we confess our sins to the Lord, honest and deep. Worldly sorrow means that we're not really that sorry. We just don't like the consequences of being caught. Well, godly sorrow is hopeful. Worldly sorrow is hopeless. Godly sorrow is life-giving. Worldly sorrow, life is fading. Godly sorrow brings transformation, truly. Worldly sorrow is just going to lead to more regression. And then godly sorrow moves someone towards God, but worldly sorrow, you stay away from God. Listen, there's a lot of people who either get caught or say a quick, yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't do that. But we all kind of know they're going right back to it. And that's worldly sorrow, not godly sorrow. But then we've all seen people who are broken and contrite, and God will never despise someone who's contrite. And they come to God and they receive grace and mercy. And there's this turnaround because Jesus is invited in. And it's amazing. And it's, that's, that's the godly sorrow that leaves no regret. And Paul presents the contrast. With godly sorrow, you can think of Paul, who rejected Jesus and killed Christians, and Peter, who denied Jesus. Even at the crucifixion, Peter was denying Jesus. I would say that no one here has treated Christians as cruelly as the Apostle Paul. And no one here has had the massive denial that Jesus had, it's a, that Peter had regarding Jesus at such a timely moment. If God forgives Peter and Paul, God forgives you. And if you feel like you've blown it beyond what anyone knows or what God can redeem, God says, Peter and Paul, those are my leaders I'm going to raise up. And then the flip side, when you think about worldly sorrow, you think about Pharaoh, 10 plagues. Sure, he says, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then it's like, what is it? Turns right back, hardens his heart. You think of Judas, who has guilt and shame, but doesn't let God take away his guilt and shame, won't confess. 
And those are two examples. And so we see it so clearly, the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Well, if repentance is choosing a better way, a repentance is purification, which means separation. It's separating ourselves from sin, and it's moving towards the Savior. If repentance is what's needed right now for us to go from where we are to where we want to be, repentance in the sound spiritually is what's needed for the sound spiritually to go from where we are right now to where we want to be. Repentance is needed for restoration, then will we repent? And there's something we all have that blocks repentance more than anything else, and it's pride. Pride blocks repentance. Repentance is a road of restoration, and pride blocks that road and says, no, 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 we're not going down there. Not us, not now. And so to break through that pride, we have people like David who are transparent and vulnerable. In Psalm 32, when he held on to his pride, he wouldn't admit his sin. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. He's saying, God, I tried denial in my pride to say there's no sin. Listen, we all sin every day. So healthy rhythm, we should be repenting every day. Every day, all of us repenting. Well, he didn't want to repent. His pride got in the way. But then he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. God forgives our sin, our guilt, and shame he takes away. Two things the devil wants to do. In pride, keep you in denial. Or in accusation, tell you that your sin defines you. But it doesn't. And keep you in guilt and shame. But that's not where you belong. Jesus comes along, moves us out of denial and truth, and then in love restores us. And God will send someone to pull us out of our sin. Because we're stubborn and we're proudful. And with that pride, God sent Nathan. And this is back in in Samuel chapter 12. God sent Nathan to David. That was the, the first word of that chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 12. God sent Nathan to David. What did Nathan do? He said, David, you're the man. David had committed adultery and murder and was just trying to live like at the Bible study in the life group, like, it's all cool. It's all cool. My marriage is cool. My walk with God is cool. Nobody needs to ask me any questions. God sent Nathan to David and said, you're the man. You've despised the word of God. Rebellion always starts when you reject the word of God. This is the devil's tactic from the beginning, the sly serpent. Did God really say? There were people in Corinth that were so externally impressive. They looked so intelligent, and they came in as false teachers, and they started to take shots at the word of God. And David's confronted by Nathan. David's pride doesn't like it, but then you know what he says? I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord in unbelief, in rejection, and in the way I'm living right now. I've sinned against the Lord. And when someone says, I've sinned against the Lord, it's like the floodgates of heaven come is grace and mercy. And there's this new start. There's this new hope. They get a spark back in their eyes. They're coming back to life. They have the peace of God again. They're coming back to who God designed them to be and gifts and abilities and love and connecting with people. As soon as they do that, God takes over. And the Holy Spirit moves. And it's a beautiful, beautiful miracle. They're repenting in Corinth. We can repent today in a healthy rhythm and walk with God. There's reaching, there's repenting, and the third part, there's refreshing, bringing comfort and encouragement. 
And we read in chapter 7, starting in verse 6, let's find out how God brings comfort and encouragement to the Corinthians. In verse 6 we read, But God, who comforts the downcast, comfort us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. And at the end of this chapter, you can say, by all this, we are encouraged. And the Corinthians are encouraged. Titus is encouraged. Paul's encouraged. Refreshment, refreshment, refreshment. Refreshing becomes contagious. And when other people are refreshing you, now you're feeling refreshed and you want to refresh someone else. And suddenly the culture starts to change. How does God comfort and refresh people? He sends someone like Titus. And there's a few different ways, I think, that we see refreshment here. First of all, I want to point out that Paul was telling the story of Titus in chapter 2. And now we don't read about Titus again until chapter 7. It's like five chapters of where did Titus go and how did that play out? Because Paul was waiting for Titus and Troas to bring some news of refreshment and to see him, but he didn't come. So Paul went on to Macedonia, and we just read five chapters because the way Paul writes, he'll start with one thing, and he's just loving the Lord, and the way his personality goes, he just starts writing lots of other things, all inspired by the Holy Spirit, working through his personality, and now he's going to come back and finish the story. There's people who read the Bible, and they're frustrated because it's just not all logical, efficient, coherent. The next phrase, okay, where did the story go about Titus? That was just five chapters. And what it tells me is that God works through Paul's personality and he'll work through your personality to refresh other people in a style that's different than other people. And that's okay. You be who God made you to be. You don't have to try and copy and imitate someone else. The gifts and personality God's given to you, the Holy Spirit's gonna work right through that and you're gonna bring glory to God in a special way that other people aren't. And there's refreshment that comes from Paul's writing, his very unique style. There's also refreshment that comes right now through the blessed stories at Grace. And what I would say is that our church, by the grace of God, is a refreshing place. Let's guard that culture together. Let's build that culture together. That whether you're at a life group or come on a weekend or a one-on-one conversation or meet someone who also goes to grace at your workplace, let's continue to have it be a refreshing culture because that's the culture that God brings. In blessing other people, as we think about these blessed stories, it can happen in Hawaii on vacation where you see someone who's homeless and God nudges you to connect with someone. You know, for people who work and serve our homeless um, brothers and sisters here in the sound, you know what I've heard dozens and dozens of times? The greatest need in the homeless community is not homes and jobs, although those are blessings. The greatest need in the homeless community is relationships. And the real question is, who will build relationships with people who are homeless? Well, that inspires us. If it can happen in Hawaii, it can happen in the sound. And the same person you drive by every week when you come to church, maybe just getting to know their name. Maybe offering to pray for them is a starting point in a relationship. Take them out for a meal, however God leads you. Blessing isn't heavy, it's freedom and joy. It's like, God, what do you have for me today? Who can I refresh today? In the Bible, there's refreshment throughout, and it's a theme because this is how God works. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, here's some verses to consider. In 1 Corinthians 16, 18, For they refresh my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. We know these men from the verse before are Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. They are showing up to be with Paul, bringing a letter, bringing encouragement, bringing comfort. They're serving Paul. 
And it's refreshing, Paul. 1 Samuel 16, 23. This is David and Saul. David is gifted musically. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Do you ever come in here on a Sunday morning and then with our musicians and singers worshiping and praising God, your spirit's lifted? You just don't carry the same heaviness. You're not in that place of despair and discouragement when you walked in because God met you at a low place and lifted you up through the music and the praise. We thank God for uh, what he's doing. And we thank God for our tech teams too. Uh, just, you might not know this, but our power went out yesterday and our teams came in really, really early this morning to try to get everything ready. I know when you show up, it's like, oh yeah, everything will be how it's supposed to be. Some people got out of bed really early this morning and made it through a couple tech headaches so that this could all happen and worship could happen and God would move in that way. Can we thank the people who got up early? Second Timothy 1.16, Onesimus. What do we read about him? May the Lord show mercy to his whole household because he often refreshed me and not ashamed of my chains. I think about our prison team that goes to visit people in prison, writes notes, keeps in touch. People from prison, when they're free, they come here and join us in worship. There's ministries where you can continually encourage someone who maybe has been mistreated, like Onesimus, and it's consistent. Then we see in Exodus 23, 12, it's the Sabbath, and the whole community together, six days to do your work, but on the seventh day, do not work. Your ox and your donkey may rest. People are resting. Animals are resting. In that culture, there were slaves. Um, give the servants a day off. Born in your household, the foreigners live among you may be refreshed. We want everyone to be refreshed in community together and experience and receive God's love. In Philemon 1, 7, Philemon is someone who Paul's writing to, for your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Because of his generosity and his grace, he refreshes people. Grace is a refreshing place. When I think about what's happened the last few months, the number of people who've rolled up their sleeves and painted, stained, moved things, and in the children's rooms, we're two weeks away from kind of a grand opening for the rooms with the kids, including some rock climbing and some great stuff. And it's because uh, so many people have served and given and prayed that now there's a refreshing that's coming and kids are going to sense how much we truly love and value them through the rooms and the hard work that's been done. When I think about middle school and high school, it is so refreshing to see what God is doing at that age group in our church right now and to see their love for the Lord and their worship. And so many people here have stepped up and started serving because as God brings more middle school and high school students, we need more leaders. And so many people have stepped up. There's a need for more to step up, but let's bring refreshment to our middle school and high school students. When I think about our international students, so many people have stepped up because there's a need for rides from Green River. I remember being a college student. Maybe you remember you didn't have a car. And it's like when someone can pick you up and bring you, it's amazing how many people are doing that. And I got to tell you, there's so many more at Green River who would love a ride. If you want to start giving rides, let us know. But the refreshment of that conversation in the car there and the ride back, it's amazing. Our young adult group is growing so much right now. And our young adults, they're looking for mentors. One of them this week reached out and I connected him with someone who's one of our more seasoned seniors in our church. And there was just such a look of joy on our seniors' face today. It says, we just met, and it was awesome. There's mentoring that happens in a multi-generational church. 
our Good Samaritan Fund, because so many people, they lose their jobs, they're in between jobs, they couldn't quite pay the bills, and a timely gift makes such a difference. And we refresh people together with that, or even pay for some counseling sometimes when couples can't afford it. And then also our seniors, and there's so many of our dear seniors. We talk about Grace being 70 years old. They've been faithful for decades, but you know what? Physically, they can't make it here anymore. And there's seniors around the sound, and people that are going to and spending time with seniors, doing yard work, caring for them, care teams one-on-one, bring in some encouragement from the word. Amazing, the refreshment that's happening in so many ways at our church. And I want to share this last picture here. Emily, Emily Watling is uh, in her early 20s, you know, one of our young adults, and she's going to Arizona. Why is she going to Arizona? Because she's going to bring refreshment to legal immigrants and also refugees. She's going to get to know them. She's going to go to their homes. She's going to serve them, care for them, help them in their transition. She's going to share Jesus with them. She's going to teach them English, and she's going to bring refreshment. God calls all of us, and then he also leads us personally to specific people, locations, and assignments where we can love our neighbor and bring refreshment. This rhythm from heaven that we see in 2 Corinthians 7 is the same rhythm from heaven today. As we abide and receive from Jesus, what are we doing daily? We're reaching, we're repenting, and we're refreshing the people around us. Don't grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. The key is the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us. How is God leading you right now? I'm going to ask the elders to come up front in front of the stage, and we're going to have a time where you can come forward. This might be your time right now where God speaks to you and you know that God is leading you to do something specific, to bless some people. And maybe where you're seated, you want to talk with God during the song about that. Or maybe today, as you've heard about repentance, where you're sitting, you're going to repent from sin. Or maybe you want to come up and just confess to one of the elders. Because where there's confession, there's accountability. Where there's confession, there's healing. Where there's confession, there's encouragement and reassurance. And you could come forward for that. If you're here today and physically you need some prayer, physically you can come forward for prayer. The elders have oil. And James chapter 5 says, if you're sick, you need physical healing, come forward, receive prayer. God has been moving this hour. And at this time right now, this is our response to God. We've listened to his word We've worshiped. Now, how is the Holy Spirit leading you? Last service, people just came forward. I want to make it so clear. This is a house of prayer for all nations, and there is no shame in coming forward. In fact, heaven celebrates. When we come forward and we take a step towards God, there's rejoicing in heaven. So let's all stand up together right now as we prepare to worship. And I want to pray for this moment. Father God, we thank you for this time and how you're moving in our church family. Jesus, we exalt you. Holy Spirit, lead and guide. Times of reaching, repenting, refreshment. Guide this time of prayer. We'll give you the glory how you answer these prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.